43, where that thought was challenged before Jesus. You'll see in the text here. People have been dying. Uh, People always are dying. But we're starting to notice it and be more attentive to it with uh, the virus that's gone around. And a few celebrities, celebrities are always dying too. I'm not being trite about that, but a few celebrities have died this year that some of them I have no idea who they are. uh, But um, Larry King died recently, very aged man, of course, he's on the on TV a lot, um, radio, or may have been on radio, but I know he's on television, interviewed a lot of people, and I know he heard the gospel. I saw him hearing the gospel uh, a couple times. Billy Graham gave him the gospel. John MacArthur, I know, gave him the gospel. I know he's had other uh, preachers in front of him that give him the gospel, and there's a few quotes I have today that I might share of something that he said, and then Rush Limbaugh died this last week, and just other people that um, maybe I think some actors, um, and then maybe somebody you know. Uh, there's been there's people in this church right now that they've had family, extended family that have died just this year. So death is a reality, but is life after death a reality? <laughs> now we're presuming, yeah, we're Christians, we're here, we're people of the book, and it's life after death is a reality. Well, let's consider that today, and we'll contain ourselves primarily just to the words of Jesus. We will look at a few other scriptures. Uh, but Jesus here is being questioned, and so let's look here. Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to 33, and I'll just read the Bible here and just pay attention. When uh, the same day, verse 23 says, the same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection, and asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Again, we're in Matthew chapter 22. We're now in verse 29. Matthew 22, 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at His doctrine. I'm going to give you a few things here. Uh, Sister Becky Miller, 
Uh, Brother Matt's wife gave, gave me this, I think, sometime last year. It's an interesting book. It's called Last Words of Saints and Sinners by Herbert Lockyer. And it just has, it categorizes different quotes of people, um, what they said before they died. It's interesting to hear what people say before they die. Some things people said before they died and they didn't know they were going to die. Like, I think Bing Crosby's last words were, that was a great game and fell over dead on the golf course. And um, uh, John F. Kennedy in the drive in Texas there, uh, something, he was, I think it was the governor's wife of that state said something like, you can tell that the people of Texas really love you. The people of Dallas, I think it was Dallas, really love you. And he said, yeah, that's right. And then those were his last words and he was shot. Some people has some of their words before they died that they didn't know were their last words. Others has intentional last words of saints and sinners alike. Interesting stuff in here. I'm going to give you a few quotes here. Um, Thomas Paine, who was, I'll just read this, the renowned American author and infidel, okay? He exerted considerable influence against belief in God and then the scriptures. He came to his last hour in 1809, a most disillusioned and unhappy man. During his final moments on earth, he said this, quote, I would give worlds if I had them, that the age, that age of reason, that was a book he wrote, that age of reason had not been published. Oh, Lord, help me. Christ, help me. Oh, God, what have I done to suffer so much? But there is no God. But if there should be, what will become of me hereafter? Stay with me. For God's sake, send even a child to stay with me. For, hell, for it is hell to be alone. If ever the devil had an agent, I have been that one. So some of his last words. Many, many in here. I'm going to read you this guy, Robert Ingersoll. Robert Green Ingersoll, 1883 to 1899, a famous lawyer and prominent agnostic. Lectured, he lectured on biblical inaccuracies and contradictions. So he went around and, you know, basically lectured and said, here's why the Bible's wrong. Look at these contradictions and apparent contradictions and inaccuracies. And so he, his famed lecture called, quote, The Mistakes of Moses, eventually led one Christian defender of the Bible to say that he would like to hear Moses speak for five minutes on the mistakes of Ingersoll. Um, but anyway, standing by his graveside, uh, Robert Ingersoll's brother said this, quote, this is just sad, life is a narrow veil between the narrow peaks of two eternities. We strive in vain to look beyond the heights. We cry aloud, and the only answer is the echo of our wailings. It's kind of a, kind of a hopeless uh, sense at the end of life, about life after death. Some of them seem to panic, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. There was one, I can't remember his name, there was one guy, his, the, the, his caretaker recorded that he said this, and he was some kind of infidel, uh, denied the existence of God, or said, we can't know. And he stared at a wall for like the last couple hours, and then right before he died, he says, so it is true, and died. <laughs> that gives me chills up my spine right there, you know, for what chills up your spine are worth. But listen to this. Okay, so I like these. This is a couple of good quotes by some believers here. Uh, one lady, she said this, uh, Catherine Booth. He was either the daughter or the wife of William Booth. I can't remember. And I like, if I can find it here. Here we go. Her last words, the waters are rising, but so am I. I'm not going under, but over. 
that good? That's good. Uh, Robert Bruce, King of Scotland, 1274 to 1329, said, Now, God be with you, my dear, dear children. I have breakfasted with you and now shall sup with my Lord Jesus Christ. That's good. Here's what a man, Thomas Watson, who was a Puritan uh, Christian man, author, Thomas Watson. Several good quotes about death here. I'm just trying to get our minds thinking here. He said, the world is but a great inn, hotel, we would say, where we are to stay a night or two and be gone. What madness it is to set our heart upon our hotel room and to forget our home. Isn't that good? This is a stay. It's madness to just set your heart on this time and forget your real home. Believer, that's your real home. Unbeliever, your fate is hell until you trust Christ as Savior and have your sins remitted. Thomas Watson, several, I'm not going to read all of me. It's really good quotes here. Death to a child of God is like the whirlwind to the prophet Elijah. It blew off his mantle, but carried the prophet up to heaven. Isn't that right? We're going to leave our earth suit behind and, and see the Lord. Just some thoughts there about death. Now, we got some thoughts about and some, and some words that I, I could give you more from here of what people said uh, before dying. Anybody remember last words of maybe a parent or a grandparent? Maybe you, you know, I'm not asking you to tell me. Anybody remember? No, I'm not asking you some, someone remembers last words of somebody. I remember some of my grandpa Henry's last words, my dad's dad. They weren't his last words before he died, but his last words I remembered to me. And it was along the lines of Christians really need to learn to pray. And that's one of the last things I remember him telling me that. And he was a Southern Baptist pastor in Gilbert one time at Arizona Avenue Baptist Church and then in Tucson uh, for some years. But those are, remember, my grandpa's last words. Well, it's interesting to hear last words and get some evidence just before death, but what about after, after death? Jesus deals with that. Let's look at uh, some things here. Um, well, well, but first, before we look at the text, let's, let's pause a second. What, are, what do people think? What do people think about death, life, life after death? What are the views? I'm going to give you some. There's the view of soul sleep, right? You heard of soul sleep? It's kind of like, well, you know, when you die, it's just like you're really deeply sleeping, man. Your soul is sleeping. One day God's going to wake you up like, okay, we're ready now. We got all things set for the new millennium. You can get up. The soul sleep. Some people think that when you die, yes, your soul continues, but just sleeping there or sleeping somewhere or floating around in a, I don't know. But some think your soul sleeps, that there's not an immediate consciousness of the soul somewhere. Some believe, there's some professing Christians that believe in soul sleep. All right? Uh, some believe, what happens when you die? Oh, nothing. Just nothing. You just go away. It's just, there's no consciousness. You just go away. There's a lot that believe that. Did you know that? Uh, what else? What, other, what, what might other people believe of, of life after death? Some believe that you take an alternate form, right? When you die, you, your spirit becomes a rock or goes and becomes a, 
a rabbit somewhere and shows up in Australia. You're reincarnating type thing. You show up again as something else. You take an alternate form. There's people who literally believe that. And we could take off on each of these proponent, proposed theories and, and kind of expose the, the names of the religions and the people, but I'm just giving you an idea. Um, others believe when you die that you do continue on. Your soul continues on. And some have taken it but created another error and say you continue on even in marriage. Yeah. See that lady you married? Forever. <laughs> when you said forever, it was forever. <laughs> There's some that believe, of course, you're married forever. And um, what does the Bible say? What does Jesus say? Well, let's get into this conversation here. The Bible text we read, what's happening? What is happening here? Well, Jesus is being asked his view. What's Jesus' view? Uh, what, there was these... Three groups of men, three groups of um, religious men that came to Jesus on this day here were in the middle of a three major questions. The first question was about taxing. This question is about death. The last question we, we'll get to another time is about what's the greatest command. He's in the middle of one of three major questions uh, given to him from these um, religious groups, Okay. There was the Herodians, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees. They were testing him. They were kind of test driving him. What's he going to say? The Sadducees, look what it says in verse 23. It says, The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say there is no resurrection, and asked him. So who's coming to him? Jesus coming. Jesus is doing his deal, and somebody came to him earlier, and now these Sadducees come. And, and who are the Sadducees? Well, we know that... We know one thing your Bible tells us right there. They don't believe in the resurrection right there. But there's other things about the Sadducees. It appears that they were kind of an elite group. They weren't the largest of the religious parties and factions. The Pharisees were. But they were powerful. They apparently had kind of the leverage of power in the country uh, politically and religiously. It appears that most of the priests were Sadducees. Yes, most of the priests were Sadducees. You say in that people that were attending and offering offerings at the house of God were men who didn't even believe in a resurrection. Yes, that happens in churches. That happened in the Old Testament temple where you had, they're going through the motions of things God said to do, but they don't believe the very things God said. Did you know there's churches, some of them with Baptists on it, some of them with Methodist or Presbyterian or whatever that are historically have been believed fundamentals of the faith that don't even believe in a virgin birth of Jesus Christ. They're going through the motions. And they, some of them don't even believe the Bible. And I'm not talking about a translation issue. I'm talking about inspiration itself of the Bible. They, and that's what you had. Sadducees were in the place. They were, had the form of godliness that God had prescribed, but they didn't even believe in a resurrection. They didn't even believe in angels. So they must have been already doubting some of the Scripture itself. The Sadducees came to him. They were kind of the liberal theologians of the day, the aristocrats, the temple ruling class, anti-supernatural. They may have even denied the idea of miracles. We don't know, but we do know they denied angels and spirits, and the resurrection. Those are the three things that are indicated from other scriptures. Not just that they deny the resurrection. Watch this. They deny any resurrection. Luke 20, verse 27 says. They deny that there is any resurrection. That is, when I die, 
my soul ascends somewhere, my soulless body. They deny that, and they deny the physical resurrection. Any of those. Yeah, there's no, just gone. Isn't that, wouldn't that be weird to have basically a, a kind of, not an atheist, but a, a theist that believes you just end? You believe in God, but when you die, you just over? What? What kind of God are you really believing? So they come to Jesus, and they... Now, now I want you to understand something here. They have a... They're perplexed. They have a very perplexing uh, question, which I was going to bring out some perplexing questions that I had here. See if I can bring them out. They had a perplexing question for Jesus. They said, well, wait a minute. They said... um, It's kind of like... The Sadducees, they, 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 again, elite, powerful, um, probably educated in some way, and they had this doctrine that says there can't, there's no resurrection. And here they pull out kind of their famous, their problem, one of their famous uh, uh, stock arguments. Hey guys, let's do the old leveret marriage thing. See how Jesus answers this. I mean, how if there's a resurrection? about these guys that died and his brother died and his brother died and I mean whose wife is this is getting it's ridiculous therefore there can't be a resurrection right. oh again they had this mentality that said if a man well let's just look at the text the bible says Moses said unto us uh, master verse 24 Moses said unto us if a brother die having no children his his brother if a man die having no children, his brother shall raise up, marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. That was a biblical command for the Jews. Now here, I'll explain it because it sounds odd to the American mind. All right? This is what God said. It's a Bible verse. They're saying something true. There's a verse in Deuteronomy that basically says, a man, say a man, a man gets married. This is a Jewish man. They're big on their names, they're big on their tribes, they're big on their descendants, they're big on their little plots of land that they had, they want to continue those things. This guy marries, he's got a wife, he's got a place, he's got a name, he's from a tribe, he marries this lady and this guy, but he ends up dying before he even has any children by her. So God had said, hey, if that happens, he he marries, he dies childless, then if he has a brother... The brother needs to come marry her. Now that's an arranged marriage for the man and the lady right there. Now, I don't know if it means that brother's already married, he needs to do it still. That would be kind of complexicated. But let's presume it's just the guy's single, the single brother, come marry. My, he would marry his brother's widow. That's what God said to do. And there was wisdom in it for their, what they were doing as a nation. It helped preserve the name of that man. There was an aspect of land ownership and things you pass along. And, and it was taking care of, it was another way of taking care of this widow. So again, the brother would have to marry his brother's widow and have children by her and continue a family with her. Nothing wrong with that. Well, the Sadducees knew that, and they thought, well, and they start reasoning. They said, well, wait a minute. They, they go to Jesus, and they tell this apparent story. We knew a guy. He married this woman, and he died. And so his brother married her, 
and he died, and the next brother married her, and he died, and seven brothers had this lady. And then last of all, she died. And so, Lord, when they get in the resurrection, whose wife shall they be? Now, what are they doing? Who gets to have her? Whose, whose wife is it? Who's her husband? What are they doing? This is a logical fallacy. You start with a false premise and start reasoning something and say, it can't be true because of this. They started with a false premise that you get married when you die. You're still married when you die. They had that false premise and based, they based everything on this false premise and it aired. So they go to Jesus. All right, so they go to Jesus and they said, they said all this and they said in verse 28, Therefore in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. We, this, this can't be true. This doesn't make sense. Jesus gives his answer here. He says, you do err not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God. Their intellectual bias. We all, let me just pause a second. We all have to, all, I don't care what, where you've been raised, how you've been raised, we all have to be acutely aware of our biases, our intellectual biases, our presuppositions we come to the Bible with and say, are my presuppositions clear Bible presuppositions? Or is it tradition that I'm coming to the Bible with? Is it my feeling, my agenda, my some thing outcome that I want to see happen, so I'm going to make sure the Bible forces itself into word finding words that affirm what I'm already wanting. They had an intellectual bias, and that intellectual bias prevented them from truly recognizing the power of God. Could God raise the dead? They didn't even recognize. They didn't know that. They didn't recognize, could God raise the dead? They didn't know the power of God, nor the Scriptures. Will God raise the dead? If they believe the power of God, they know that God could raise the dead. And if they truly believe the Word of God, they know that God will raise the dead. And they didn't believe it. Jesus said, look at His answer to them. Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. So again, what's happening? Jesus is here. These, these group of elite men come to Him and say, hey, Lord, we... And they already... Did, their, their agenda's set. They're not really there to, to learn. Can you please tell us? We have a... They, had, they were hypocrites. They said, this man married and his brother married and they died and brother. And well, then when they, you got these seven widowers in heaven and the, the widow finally dies. So who gets to have her? This is absurd. I wonder what he's really going to say. And he says, watch this. Watch this now. He says to this, the elite, to the ruling class, to the ones running the temple, to the ones who are mostly on the Sanhedrin who had such political clout, he says to them, educated men in power, you do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. You're an error. You've wandered off. This is a lesson for me, I realize. Let's not forget, we could all err, but let's not forget, it is entirely possible for people in powerful places with degrees, with titles, within all these things to still err and be in error in a belief or an assertion. 
including this pastor. That's why you've got to measure everything by the Bible. It is entirely possible for some big-shot politician, some big-shot preacher to have a gross error. That's how they were. In a major issue, death, life after death. Jesus said you do err. I mean, he's calling out the highest religious authorities in his land. You're erring, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. So Jesus here, the issue, the whole message is this. Jesus clearly teaches there is life after death. He clearly teaches that. That's the main message, and we're going to break it down here in a moment. But I want you to see two aspects here before we break down our major points. Jesus teaches that there is a conscientious soul existence after any person dies. There is a conscientious, that means it's very, that person's very well aware. There is an awareness of a, the soul's self-awareness after death. There's a soul existence after that. So follow me to a couple of scriptures here. Go to Luke 16, which is a really, quite frankly, a fearful passage. But they are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ describing two men who died. I won't break down the whole passage here, but it describes two men who died, a man who was poor who happened to have been a true believer, a man who was rich who happened to have not been a believer. Um, Luke 16, and it says here, verse 22 and 23. Luke 16, verse 22 and 23, Jesus telling the story about this poor man, this beggar, and the rich man. It says, And it came to pass when the, that the beggar died, Luke 16, 22, and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. It, it, that's his soul. Soul and spirit. The rich man died also and was buried. And, that's not all, verse 23, In hell he lifted he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Consider those words a minute. Let's just ponder the idea of the disembodied existence. We're going to look at that a little bit tonight, too. There's a, something that happens in heaven that's recorded by John. There's a disembodied existence, and it says people see and cry without having a body, and thirst without a body. That's what this man's doing. Jesus taught, I'm just saying, he taught life after death, two facets of it. There's a conscientious soul existence after death. Now, we kind of saw the negative side. Look at the positive side. Look at Luke 23, 43. Same book, Luke 23, just some pages over to your right. Luke chapter 23. Verse 43. Jesus was on the cross. There was two men, on the, one man on the right, another man on the left of him. At first, they both reviled him. Before Jesus died and they died, one of the men, I can't remember if it was left or right, one of the men who once reviled Jesus a few hours before now believes on Jesus. Just before he's about to die, Luke chapter 23, verse 43, And Jesus said unto this man, this thief, Jesus said unto him, Verily, let's look what he said, I'm sorry, verse 42. He said, this thief who's a criminal dying next to Jesus, also crucified, said, Jesus, Lord, remember me 
When thou comest into thy kingdom, that's a salvation prayer. Jesus, I, re I recognize you. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And notice what he says in chapter 23, verse 43, the next verse. Verily, and Jesus said unto him, Verily, certainly, absolutely, I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Now that guy's body that day and Jesus' body that day were in a grave. But their disembodied existence was with the Lord in paradise. That guy went to heaven that day with Jesus. So Jesus clearly teaches life after death. That is a conscientious soul existence elsewhere, and that there is a that there is a there is a pending. The second aspect is there is a pending resurrection of the body. There's two facets of life after death: the ascending of the soul somewhere, or descending into hell, and the re, the resurrecting, the reconstituting of a body. Those two aspects. So one day, say if we all died right now, we're going to heaven. And if the rapture comes, the resurrection day comes, that part of the resurrection, we get our body then. Okay? He'll give us a new body later on. So John, I'm going to quickly look at John 5.28, then we'll go back to Matthew. You could follow me if you'd like. John 5.28, I'll read it. Will, do you mind turning on the fan for us? Thank you. John 5, 28 and 29. Again, this is, this is the Lord. This is the Scripture. This is God's Word. Jesus says that uh, He's talking about His authority as the Son of God over life and death. He says, John 5, 28, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which... in in the which all that are in the grave shall hear His voice. Hear the voice of who? The Son of God. And they shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Everybody's going to have a resurrection, even a lost person. You can look at it. It's, it's, it's interesting. The end of the book of Revelation, the great white throne judgment, there is a second uh, resurrection where there's a body that's reconstituted and enjoined with the souls that were in hell and they stand before God that way. The books are opened and they're judged out of the book. Whoever's not written in the book of life is cast in the lake of fire. You say, I don't like that stuff. Then throw your Bible in the garbage and go find another religion because it's part of the Bible. But also part of the Bible is there's a way to escape that. And it's simply by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not by becoming a Baptist or, or baptism or something. It's just humbling yourself enough to confess, Jesus, I know you came. I know you were here. I believe you died for me and rose from the dead. Be my Savior. That's enough to save you from that whole peril. So the Lord talks about a soul existence after death and a resurrection of the body at some point in the future. But what does he say here in particular? So let's go back and just deal with the rest of this text. There's one, two, three, four, five verses. Let's look at these. Matthew chapter 22. Jesus shows us three particular truths here relating to life after death. Not that this is the only thing he ever said, but just dealing with this text by itself. We see, first of all, what does Jesus teach in particular about life after death? 
The teaching is drawn from Scripture. Now, Jesus knows all things, but He often on earth appealed to the Scriptures, which are His Word, and He's the embodiment of that Word. Notice, again, Jesus' life after death, here's the truth, is drawn from Scripture. That's how Jesus appeals to people. Again, what does it say? Matthew 22, verse 29, Jesus answered these Pharisees. He said, you do err not knowing the Scriptures. And then he goes on later on and quotes a Scripture in 30, verse 31. Um, in verse 31 and 32, he goes on to quote a Scripture. Sometimes people that are powerful in high authority, maybe even religiously powerful, they tend to just not all of a sudden think they're so big they don't have to quote Scripture or appeal to Scripture anymore. But Jesus says, hey, guys, this is almost like a... He tells them, you don't know your Bible. To these men who are around the Bible all the time. You didn't know the Bible, guys. I want you to realize Jesus appeals to Scripture, not the latest book. Not the latest experience of man who said, I died and went to heaven, and heaven is for real. Well, I'm glad you think that, but even if you didn't think that, I'm still going to believe whatever the Bible says. He doesn't appeal to a latest book. He doesn't appeal to opinions to tell them that heaven is, or the next life, or life after death is for real. He doesn't appeal to theory or feelings or religious authority. He appeals to God. Listen, Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, appealed to God's written revelation. That's what I got to learn to do. Yep. Did you know, it's interesting, back at that, I'll just make reference to it. It's in Luke 16, verses 29 to 31. The, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was poor. He died, but he was a believer, went to heaven. Um, the rich man was in hell. The rich man appeals. He was able to, the way that's set up, apparently, he was able to view Lazarus in Abraham's bosom and said, uh, uh, and, and see Abraham, the, 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 the patriarch, said, come, uh, you know, give me some water. And, and Abraham says, we can't do that. There's a great gulf fixed between us. There's no passing from heaven, uh, people in paradise, this is the word, to hell and people from hell to paradise and and, and he's this conversation, so the man realized, I'm stuck here, I can't do anything here, I'm here forever, and I can't get something to cool my tongue. And so the rich man then says, uh, well then tell somebody, uh, send Lazarus back out from paradise to go back to earth and talk to my brothers. I have whatever many brothers he had. And they, to warn my brothers of this place, I'm in tormented in this flame. It's amazing how somebody, even in hell, cares about that other people wouldn't go to hell. I wish I had as much of a burden as that guy that's burning in hell right now as he does. But anyways, he says, send Lazarus to tell my brothers about this place. They don't come here. And it's interesting what Abraham says back to the rich man in hell. He says, you know, your brothers have Moses and the prophets. They have a Bible. He says, if they will not hear them, Moses and the prophets. Then neither will they believe the one rose like a Lazarus from the dead and went and talked to him. Interesting what is said there. Jesus put a primacy on just believing the written words of God over the miraculous. Now I'm saying, now the resurrection of Jesus Christ helps me a lot. 
But the, he's, he puts a, say, you believe the Bible. This is what guides our thoughts, not your feelings. Not a theory, not some person had this awesome experience and I saw this and I had this vision and I came back and I want to write a book. Okay, interesting, but at the end of the day, this is my objective compass for my faith. So Jesus, he, he says there is life after death and, the, and that truth is drawn from Scripture. Notice what he says. How does he draw it from Scripture? Look what Jesus says. Um, verse 31 and 32 so again, Jesus is, Jesus is telling them, hey, as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not God of the dead, but of the living. This is interesting. Please watch this. Jesus, so you have these, the elite men, they propose what they think is a trick question for Jesus, and he says, you're in error, don't you know the scripture? And, and he says to them, didn't you read what God said to Moses at the burning bush? Follow this. When Moses was in Exodus, Moses was, you know, he, had, he was uh, 40 years on a little retreat and got a wife and probably a few kids and um, Jethro's father-in-law. And he, he was out shepherding a flock, kind of out secluded a little bit. And he sees this burning bush, and this is when God's going to bring Moses and bring him back in and set him and get him to be delivered for, for all the Israeli slaves in Egypt. And so Moses is getting kind of selected here, and he, whoa, what's this burning bush? Wow, I'm going to pull aside and see what this is. And as he comes closer, the Lord says, hey, take off your shoes, place your standings holy. It's not like anywhere else. Like might look like it, but it's not. So he takes off his shoes, and then the, what the Lord says to him out of the burning bush. Jesus, this is what Jesus is quoting. He says, uh, Moses, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And then I think that's when he said, take off your shoes. The place you stand is holy ground. And so Jesus quoted that scripture. He says, hey guys, hey Sadducees, don't you remember that scripture? Haven't you read what God said to Moses, the burning bush? Now some of you are still not getting this yet. What did God say? He said to Moses, present tense, Moses, I am right now the God of your father. His father was dead. Oh, but he's still his God, referring to the fact that there's a connectiveness still. I am the God of Abraham. Abraham was years before that. And Jacob, Jacob and Isaac, they're all years before this scenario of Moses and God talking. I'm their God right now. They're up here with me. I'm their God. He's saying, what he's saying is, he's saying they were dead. Their bodies are dead, but they're still living on with me yet still in a soulish state. I am. This is interesting. Now, let's just get this. And Some of us, we think we just kind of read our Bible, <laughs> kind of read through it. Do you realize what Jesus is doing here? He is, he is showing there's importance in one word of the Bible. And not just that there's importance in one word, there's importance in the tense of the word. I didn't say was the God of your father. Boy, that poor guy. Eh, bless his soul. I don't know where it's at. but No, he says, I am. Present tense. Jesus himself Sometimes you're like, oh, these preachers make a big deal about translations and, and all these words. And it's like, look, Jesus made a, he, he paid attention to, of course, it's his word, 
the word and the tense and the meaning. He says, the Sadducees, I, God said He was. That means they were there with Him. Though you guys, though you Sadducees can go and find Abraham's sepulcher and say, oh, what a wonderful man. And you can find Jacob's sepulcher. God was with them in their disembodied state yet to get a body one day. So Jesus appeals to Scripture. Life after death is drawn from Scripture. Two more truths. Life after death voids human marriage. Look at verse 20, pardon me, verse 30. He said, You do err not knowing the Scriptures know the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Now there's a part of some of us guys that be like, you know what? I just want to chase my wife around in heaven. You know, I know I can't get married, but, or maybe some people want to be married forever. There's some religions that say we are married forever. But, you know, all of our thoughts and feelings, and I wish and I could, what is the truth? The truth is you're not married anymore. <laughs> and you're not going to get married anymore. You're not going to be walking around shopping for another lady with a new glorified body like you. You know, you're not going to get married. You're not going to continue a marriage. It's done. Whether you want to say amen to that or not, I mean, it's done. So your marriages are void. Now, family relationships are still known. We see that in some other places of Scripture. But the, the possibility of a new one or continuing your present one is void. It's not going to happen. What does Jesus say? You're as angels, he says. But as the angels of God in heaven, now you think, well, what, what does that mean as angels? Well, angels apparently are not marrying. Do you realize that whenever, previous to all this scripture, we never see God saying to angels or, or, or recognizing marriage of angels. Angels don't marry. Nor do we see God telling angels, be fruitful and multiply. Angels aren't fruitful and multiply. Angels are angels. They're in a just a set state and before, sometime before they plucked the fruit off of that tree, Adam and Eve, there was a fall, and some of them chose devil. One-third chose the devil. The other two-thirds stayed with God. There's, they're set. There's nothing, there's no relational um, dynamic there between each other or from what all we can infer, multiplying. He says, you know, when you die, you're just like the angels. They're, they're, they're there. They're... Um, spirits, and they are not marrying. So life after death, boys, human marriage. Number three, he's still your God even after death. We'll go back to verse 32. This is just a comforting thought to me. He says, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob and the God of Isaac. God is not God of the dead, but of the living. God is still your God even after you die. Isn't that a nice thought? It's true. You're going to even feel it more for whatever feelings are. Oh, yes, I'll finally get to behold Him. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. When I die, I'm still with Him. He's still my God. He talked about Abraham and Isaac. He says, he's spoken about their bodies being a sepulcher, yet, yet a soulless resurrection was there and they were related to him in that way. 
So this whole conversation here, again, he's still your God even after death. This whole conversation was designed to make Jesus look bad and to look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. But in just less than a week, so as we're going through this, in just less than a week of this conversation, he's showing them the scripture that he knows what he's talking about. But in less than a week, he's going to show his power over death itself. And so he really, he knows what he's talking about because he's the scripture, but also because of his resurrection. In order for you and I, and I know many of you know this, and hopefully all do, but if maybe there's some who don't. In order for us to know the, again, two resurrections, there's a resurrection unto death, there's a resurrection unto life. In order for us to know the resurrection unto life, we must have, we must establish a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just an intellectual recognition of Him. Establish a personal relationship. I know some in here, they... They had an intellectual connection with God. They had a nod to Jesus and a nod to Jesus' people. But there came a point for so many of us this happened where we're like, you know what? It's here, but it's not here yet. And we finally made that decision. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. I believe you. And the best I, know how I call on, best I know how I call on you to be my Savior. The Bible says when a person does that, in that personal call of faith, you're saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if you haven't done that, that's what you need to do today. Put your personal faith in Jesus Christ. And for those of us that are saved, this is a thought here, is this, and we'll wind this down, is that these Sadducees really weren't, they, were, they didn't take care about life after death. They didn't believe it. So that makes sense. If they don't believe it, they don't care. But for us, we know there's life after death, and we need to, we need to care. And care where people are going. I need to. You need to. Because people are going to go one place or another. And I want them to go to this God of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And be with Him forever.